A central part of Thanksgiving Day in the USA centers around the dinner table. Just how important are dinner settings to those who are on the fringes of society? Today, differing things will look at the importance of such settings to the most broken of humanity. Now for today's host, Bill Petrie. The last full week on that Thursday in the month of November, families gathered together to celebrate Thanksgiving in the United States. The central part of this holiday centers around our dinner tables. Family and friends will eat good food and perhaps more importantly, converse with one another. It is a wonderful time for families to catch up with one another for friends to continue to be part of each other's lives. It is a time when sometimes an individual is going through a hard part in their lives and they can share that burden with those who genuinely care about them. But most importantly, there is a joy of fellowshipping one with another that creates a truly remarkable joyous event. Indeed, over the dinner table is a wonderful time for people to really enjoy one another. Interestingly enough, our Lord Jesus Christ did the same thing. The Gospels are full of accounts of Jesus having dinner and conversing with others while breaking bread. I would like to look at some examples of these dinners and perhaps give to you, our listener, a greater appreciation of what dinner can be and what it means to those who are the most broken in our society. Matthew chapter number 11, verses 18 and 19 state, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold a man gluttonous and a wine-biber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified in her children. In societies where there are barriers between classes, ethnicities, or other social status groups, the separation is maintained by means of a taboo on social mixing. The scandal Jesus caused in Israeli society by mixing socially with sinners can hardly be imagined by most people today, especially those of us who live in the Western world. To eat and drink with them meant that Jesus had accepted them and that he wanted to be a friend to tax collectors and sinners. The effect upon the poor and the oppressed themselves was miraculous. Interestingly, the majority of Israelites who accepted Jesus' ministry came from individuals 
who were considered socially unacceptable for the rest of society to mix with. They were the broken of the most broken within humanity. Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, records the following. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? Community emerges in the midst of diversity when all are invited and embraced, accepted and included. The most provocative image of community that Jesus modeled in his life was his fellowship around the dinner table with people who were considered sinners and outcasts in society. Jesus intentionally shattered the boundaries instituted by society and fashioned a new understanding of community rooted in the idea of acceptance of God. There was not an individual in Israel who could ever feel that Jesus' ministry did not include him or her. Jesus counted himself as one of them and could thus minister to these individuals in ways they never before had been ministered. Notice in the message that it was the scribes and Pharisees who had a hard time with Jesus' fellowshipping with the societal outcasts. In their mind, Jesus was a very influential person, and his decision to destroy the social boundaries could only weaken their influence upon society. How many times within the church community do we look at people as being beneath us or below us and we become judgmental and we fail to take care of their basic need? The first thing Jesus did with any person that he came into contact with was to take care of their immediate need. And oftentimes, the immediate need of any individual is to feel accepted, to feel cared for, to be nurtured. Jesus began to institute the new boundaries of what community will look like when he established, when he will establish his kingdom upon the earth. Yes, community would emerge in the midst of diversity because all would be invited and all embraced and all accepted and all included. This indeed was revolutionary. Was it any wonder that the Pharisees and scribes who were trying to cling to their power 
by creating divisions within society, had a hard time with Jesus and his ministry. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39, we read of another dinner Jesus was at. It states, And one of the Pharisees desired him, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in a city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. The concerns of the religious leaders did not intimidate Jesus. In these few verses, we see Jesus allowed a woman who was considered a sinner to anoint his feet with tears and kiss them right at the table of a Pharisee. It would be impossible for me to overestimate the impact meals such as this must have had upon the poor and the sinners. By accepting them as friends and equals, Jesus had taken away their shame, their humiliation, and their guilt. By showing them that they mattered to him as people, he gave them a sense of dignity and released them from the captivity of their own feelings of worthlessness. The physical contact that he must have had with them while resting at a table in which he obviously never dreamed of disallowing must have made them feel clean and acceptable. And I think it's interesting. In this whole passage, not once do you read where Jesus will ever condemn this woman. <clears throat> he accepted her where she was. He made her feel a sense of worth. He ministered to her in a way Israel's religious leaders never could. They failed where he succeeded because he indeed gave to this member of broken society a sense of self-worth. What a Savior we have. Luke 15.2 records, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them? Jesus publicly ate meals with individuals like Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, and others who had been ostracized and isolated by society and 
religion. Jesus' acceptance of them would have been perceived as a claim that they were accepted by God. I want you to really grasp this. Jesus was accepting them. And when he is accepting them, it is implied to the rest of Jewish society that God himself is accepting them. Luke 19, verses 5 through 10 state, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, the Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. This marvelous account shows us Jesus' idea of total acceptance of his people. When Jesus tells Zacchaeus that he was going to abide with him, we see a fantastic response. Read verse 6 carefully. Zacchaeus could not move fast enough to get to Jesus. Here was Jesus, a man many thought to be the Messiah and universally accepted to be a prophet, wanting to be with him. A filthy, dishonest tax collector. If a prophet could accept him, that would mean that God had also accepted him. The rest of this account goes on to tell us how this corrupt tax collector who was oppressing his own people would admit to it and then commit to making restitution. I want you to really think about the last few words that we read in this passage in Luke. We read the following words, and they're profound. And not only are they profound, but we typically just skim over them and don't focus on the meaning. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' ministry was to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. Yet, how much of Christendom would tell us that Jesus failed in that ministry? How much of Christendom would look at it and say that Jesus failed because the overwhelming majority of what Jesus came to seek and to save will indeed be lost to him? 
and will face in eternity being tortured endlessly in the flames of the lake of fire. I want the magnitude of what I just said to hit home with you. If Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, he either did it or he didn't do it. If he didn't do it, then he failed in the mission that he came to do. And if he failed in the mission that he came to do, then he really isn't the Savior. But he, we can praise God. He is the Savior of all mankind. We can thank God that all, all that Jesus came to seek and to save, indeed, will be saved. We can rejoice in this fact that all whom Jesus sought out, that all whom Jesus died for, will have salvation. And who did Jesus die for? He died for all who were in Adam. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 states, For even as in Adam all are dying, thus also in Christ shall all be vivified. In other words, everyone who has ever been in Adam will at some point be in Christ raised to life, never to die. This, indeed, is something for us to be thankful for at this time of year. That encounter with Zacchaeus resulted in one individual whom Jesus was seeking to save, to recognize where he was, to take responsibility, and then to make restitution. Jesus gained quite a reputation because of the people he invited to join him around the table. And I want you to note that Jesus did not turn anyone away. Unfortunately, Christendom so often will look at somebody and want nothing to do with that individual because they are too broken. What a sad state of affairs. Jesus <clears throat> embraced the individual, not necessarily the conduct, but he loved the individual and he met their immediate needs. Yes, Jesus gained quite a reputation because of the people he invited to join him around the table. Jesus was not your normal teacher. He taught about community by living in the presence of those who hungered for it most. No one was excluded from the table. Jesus even shared a table with Judas, who was preparing to betray him in a few hours 
according to John chapter 13, verse 25. And the thing is, Jesus knew this when he invited him. Jesus' table fellowship also had implications for the broader Jewish society as a whole. The meals of Jesus became a vehicle of cultural protest, challenging the ethos and politics of holiness under the law as taught by Israel's religious leaders, even as it also painted a different picture of what Israel was to be. An inclusive community reflecting the compassion of God. The table fellowship of Jesus truly gave birth to the contrast community for which the Hebrew scriptures had expressed an expectation. Jesus' parable of the great banquet described this revolutionary reordering of community by inviting the oppressed to the table in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. In the account of the rich man and Lazarus, in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, Jesus made it clear that excluding the poor from one's table of fellowship could lead to one's exclusion from God's table in the next eon. For a while. And they would miss out on that kingdom they had looked so forward to. But praise be to God that God doesn't seek re revenge in the sense that people do. He ultimately wants restoration. And as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is that source of restoration, and it will occur. Jesus' table fellowship turned first century Jewish society upside down. His message included what the religious leaders of Israel had never taught. The inclusive character of Messiah's reign to all members of the nation of Israel who would accept him as their Messiah. Jesus lived out his teaching by freely associating with and showing preference for the poor and marginalized, sinners, outcasts, women, the broken of humanity. Today, they would be individuals like the homeless, criminals, the mentally ill. These broken members of Jewish society were the last who had become first, the humble who had become exalted. It has been said jokingly that Jesus was killed because of the way he ate. It would be hard to dispute that as partial truth. Jesus states that solidarity for Israel does not exist in a corrupted government or religion, which thus corrupted all of Israelite society. He defended prostitutes, not their actions, but them as a person. 
He spoke with lepers and the impure. He praised Samaritans. He permitted ostracized women to follow him. These positive actions of his were calculated to create a new collective Israelite awareness of what national solidarity is and that it actually can exist. Jesus' meals for the poor have special importance for this point. The Apostle Paul writes to the body of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses, 15, verses 16 through 20, the following, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh? Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling a world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of conciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. From this passage, we understand that God has had a dispensational change. We do not know Christ after the flesh anymore. We do not follow the earthly, fleshly life of Jesus Christ. He was under the law of Moses, and he had to obey each and every aspect of the Mosaic law. We have been liberated from the law. Romans chapter 6 tells us we are under grace and not under law. It tells us that we have been set free. We are made new. Jesus is not on this planet walking and conversing and eating with other individuals today. Instead, we, as members of his body, are acting in his stead or in his place. And in that sense, Jesus is still here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5 state, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to have the same mindset towards those 
whom society has refused. We are to exhibit the same love and care to all with whom we come into contact, offering to them the terms of God's all-wonderful grace and the total acceptance that being in Christ produces in this dispensation of the grace of God. As members of the body of Christ, it should be easy to welcome all who are members of the body into our fellowship. We should never be exclusive because of economic, racial, or any other societal barrier that may exist. Instead, we must work towards inclusiveness of all members of the body of Christ and by an extension of all members of humanity. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives us how it is that God offers the terms of total acceptance for humanity. And it's a simple message. And I want to read it to you. We read here in verses 1 through 4 of Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 15. Now I am making known to you, brethren, the evangel which I bring to you, which also you are accepted, and which also you stand, through which you also are saved, since you are retaining what I said in bringing the evangel to you outside, and except you believe feignedly. For I give over to you among the first what also I accepted, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was entombed, and that he has been roused the third day according to the scriptures. It's that simple, folks. Simply believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was entombed, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, believing that places you into Christ. It liberates you from sin and bondage. It liberates you from the law of Moses that you could never attain to. And it places you into Jesus Christ. And your basis for the relationship that you now would have with Jesus Christ is an identity-based acceptance. You are in Christ. Instead of what the law gave, a performance-based acceptance. Far too long, we have failed to reach out to the broken members of humanity and proclaim to them this message of liberation. If we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27 very carefully, 
we will see the importance of being inclusive. We, who understand the word of God rightly divided, should know this better than any denominationalist ever could. Religion merits nothing before God. God cares about relationships. Let us use this Thanksgiving to build relationships to those who are broken, to those who are broken within the body of Christ, and to those who are broken, yearning for something better. At this time of year, let us rejoice in the individuality of every member in the body of Christ. Let us work towards having all men see what the fellowship of the secret is. Good day and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.